where that foghorn blows I will be coming home When the foghorn blows I wanna hear it Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. <sighs> I don't even know how to begin to talk about yesterday's 34-30 loss to Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, just one of the wildest and craziest Packer games that I can remember. Um, there is certainly a lot to talk about. Many people uh, within Packer Nation talking about who's to blame, who's not to blame. So hopefully we'll get into most of those things today. But let's bring Matt in here. And there's going to be a lot of negativity in this podcast. And I usually am trying to think of a song that relates to what we're about to talk about. And today... I just felt like we needed something to get us into a good mood, so I uh, handpicked one of your favorite songs. Yeah, that's my jam. Good work. I, maybe I'll uh, be a little less hard on the Packers now. I, you've raised my mood a little bit here. Um, <laughs> yeah, great song choice. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things. And, I mean, it's it almost seems like a nightmare game. Like, it was so bizarre that it almost doesn't seem real when I think back to yesterday. It's just, mm-hmm. it was such a strange, strange game. Yeah, and I was trying to think of one even like it, and the only one that really came to mind, and it was a it was a while ago now, obviously, but the '95 loss to the Minnesota Vikings, where Brett Favre got hurt, then Ty Detmer got hurt, and they both exchanged turnovers, tied with like three minutes to go, uh, just the goofiest game ever, and it was one of those games where you felt like the Packers didn't deserve to lose, but on the same token, you didn't really feel like the Bengals did either. Uh, It was just a bizarre game, and I guess let's just get right into this. To put it bluntly, Matt, as a starting point, who's to blame for this loss? Okay, well, yeah, let's just get, like you said, get right into it here. I, uh, and I know my opinion might differ from a lot of people. I know a lot of people I've heard, and I know Caleb wrote on our our Facebook wall here, pretty much ripping into everybody. Uh, I, uh, I seem to think that, you know, for me, it was almost like the opposite of what you expect from the Packers, that I actually felt, for the most part, that the defense played pretty well. I mean, they forced a lot of turnovers. Obviously, there were some mistakes. But, I mean, overall, the defense was better than it you know was at a lot of times last year. Mm-hmm. Probably good enough to win. Um, Aaron Rodgers got hit around a lot, but really on a lot of those plays, I felt like the blocking was pretty decent, and he was either holding the ball or just nobody was getting open. So the run game was good. So to me... Really, the people to blame are the ones that we expect the most out of. And for me, that was Rodgers in the receiving core. Um, it just seemed like there was, once Finley got hurt, it really showed how valuable he was to this offense, I think. And I know a lot of people don't care for him too much, but he just draws so much coverage away from these other guys, and they just couldn't get open. And the plays that they were making were just really good catches, but they weren't open really by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rodgers was clearly not having his best day. I think that had a lot to do with the defense, but I think also, I mean, he was off. There were some bad throws. That second interception was just terrible. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, I think most of the blame, blame lies on not only Aaron Rodgers, but I think also the receivers that were still out there, Jordy Cobb and, and James Jones, who you expect a lot of, and they were just seeming to have a hard time getting open. I couldn't agree with you more, honestly. Uh, 
I don't know if many people have been blaming the defense today, so I, I won't harp on that point too much, but this is the Green Bay Packers defense. They've been gashed repeatedly over the last right. three or four years. They held Cincinnati to 297 total yards. A.J. Green to four catches for 46 yards. They forced four turnovers, and they scored a defensive touchdown. And they lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the blame has to go primarily on Aaron Rodgers, and you can add those receivers in there. You feel harsh saying it's Aaron Rodgers' fault in a game when they scored 30 points, but he played far below our usual expectations for him. He didn't just have an off game. He had one of the worst games of his career. In fact, it was the sixth worst quarterback rating he's ever had in a start uh, yesterday, a little bit over 64 as a quarterback rating. Of those four first-half turnovers, the offense had an opportunity to do something with three of them, and they got two field goals out of it on the road against a pretty good opponent. And I know you ex- it's, it's, you ask so much of Aaron Rodgers, but you want to kind of balance the blame a little bit. The defense did get quite suspect in the second half, but I heard on three different pregame shows yesterday Aaron Rodgers referred to as definitively or arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Nobody wants to refer to the Packers' defense as the best defense in the NFL. So there's a different expectation there. This would be the equivalent of Ditka's Bears having somebody like Peter Tom Willis or young Mike Tomzak throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns and then have the defense give up 400 yards and five touchdowns. Right. I, I mean, there's a different curve here that we're grading them on. And, and I, maybe you're right. And now mentioning Finley, too, and I know it's stupid of me to almost forgot that he got hurt after it happened so early, but... This is almost a clone of that Washington Redskins loss in 2010. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Yesterday, they had a 9-point lead. They lost Finley early. They lost Clay Matthews late. And once those happened, they just couldn't seem to do enough to win the game. And um, you gotta, if you're the best quarterback in the NFL, you have to play better than that in a close game. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think they really suffered from going on the Finley point from somebody being underneath. It seemed like Cobb wasn't running as many kind of underneath routes as we normally see. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong there. It's kind of hard to tell from the TV camera angle, but it just seemed it seemed like last year's offense where, you know, all four receivers were running down the field and nobody could get open. Mm-hmm. And I know you had some other bodies in there that you're not used to seeing, like Taylor and Corliss and even Ross was out there trying to run some routes too. So I, I know it's some guys that Rodgers isn't used to, but it, it just seemed like he was holding and holding and holding the ball, and when he did throw it, it was inaccurate, but it just it didn't seem like anybody was ever open for him hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Jordy Nelson made some insane catches, but they were back shoulders with guys covered all over him, and it, it just yeah, it was just really bizarre. And like you said, you, you put it on a, on a curve here because the defense you don't expect that from, but they played very well comparative, you know, compared to what we see normally from them, whereas Aaron Rodgers is about as bad as I can remember. So it, it does think to finally get that kind of performance from your defense, which we haven't seen in a long time. And mm-hmm. like you said, shut down A.J. Green, their really only weapon on offense, although Gio Bernard's starting to look pretty good. But to mm-hmm. have that good of a showing on defense and the run game, too, something which we ne- haven't played well you know, in, in a long time other than mm-hmm. uh, last week as well. But just to get that one bad performance, and it's going to happen. I mean, he's not going to have four touchdowns, 300 yards every game of his career. This is a good secondary. It's a good defense. So I don't think it's... You know, we can say Aaron Rodgers isn't 
even still isn't the best quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, it's it's rough to have everything else fall into place, and then the one guy you rely on every week to play fantastic just has that one off game at that bad time. Well, and this wasn't an off game. This was a horrible game for his standards, and I, it's unfair. It seems unfair, but I feel like a lot of times the blame is deflected away from him. Uh, Mainly amongst Packer fans, not necessarily as much amongst the the media and whatever, but you don't need him to have a 145 quarterback rating to beat the Redskins or to beat the Detroit Lions. You need him to be better than 64 when you're playing the Cincinnati Bengals or better than 78 when you're playing the, the, uh, the New York Giants in the divisional playoffs. These are the games when you need him. Who gives a damn whether he has a 100 quarterback rating or a 140 quarterback rating when you're playing the Jaguars or when you're playing – I mean, all of his huge games are against teams when you don't need him. And granted, that's why they're so huge because the talent level isn't good enough to stop him. But it's like – I don't know. It, it feels so petty to to throw this all on him. But these are the games when you need your the best player in the NFL to be the best player in the NFL if you're going to win them. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. it's hard, it's I know it's it's hard to heap blame on him because, like you said, I mean, he's the only reason why we're any good right now. But at the same time, he's getting twenty million dollars a year or more than that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's that's what he's there for. He has to be the guy, and he has to do it week in and week out. So I feel like it's completely fair. I mean, if he has a bad week, he should he should get called on it. And I know he's probably gonna going to quote us now coming into next <laughs> week probably about about ripping on him and how we're, we're haters or something like that but um but I think you're right I think he, he's he's got the contract he's the leader he's the captain of this team you know if, if he's gonna have a bad week he's got to you know he, they've got to own it he's mm-hmm. he gets all the credit when they win so if they lose and he has a bad game it's it's on him too I don't appreciate that oh apparently yeah, he's I already he doesn't yeah yeah he's <laughs> no and I, I agree a hundred percent I don't know, and I think this is something we can get into maybe a little bit later, but this is another close loss for the Packers, and I definitely want to talk about this because this is kind of an issue that has lingered for the Packers far before Green and Gold Forever was a thing. Their complete inability to be able to win close games, and it seemed to be alleviated a little bit in 2011, but if you look at their records in all of the Aaron Rodgers seasons, they are still horrible. And it's I actually looked at the numbers. In games decided by four points or less, they are the worst. They're 6-18 since Rodgers became the starter in games decided by four points or less. One of the six, by the way, is a Matt Flynn victory against the, the Detroit Lions. Uh, he also has one of the losses against the New England Patriots. That is a point... 250 uh, winning percentage that's a hundred points lower than the second best team uh, which is Seattle with a point three five oh winning percentage seven and thirteen um, that's staggering and it can't certainly be all on Aaron Rodgers but and uh, we'll get into this later because we want to talk about this game first but I have some theories as to why this might be happening but this team is is so good. I mean, I looked at the numbers yesterday. Instead of stewing over the loss, I didn't really want to watch football anymore, so I just kind of dove into a whole bunch of different numbers that have been curious to me for a long time, and one of those was I tried to find out why the Packers stink in close games, so maybe I'll say, save that for a little bit later in the show, but uh, let's steer back to this Cincinnati game for at least a little bit here. Um, Matt, I think what I'm going to do real quick is I think a lot of people yesterday 
wanted someone to take the fall for what happened, even if maybe it was a conglomeration of different people who deserved it. But one of the guys who definitely deserve it, uh, deserved it did take the fall today, and that being Jeremy Ross, who is no longer a Green Bay Packer. And I wrote on my notes here, I have a bunch of scribbled notes, and most of them are pretty reasonable as far as the bullet points I have. The Jeremy Ross one says, why is Jeremy Ross in football? was what I wrote on my sheet here. He fumbled the ball on a kickoff. Again, he's fumbled like three times in six games trying to return different kicks. He arguably botched the route on the goal line when Rodgers uh, ran the uh, bootleg and then wasn't able to get to the goal line but also wasn't able to throw to Jeremy Ross. And he almost screwed up the illegal procedure and fielded yeah. a kickoff at the one-inch line. D How did he make this team... And how did it take him three weeks to get fired? I don't... It, he seems to be the epitome of one of these pet projects where no matter how poorly they play, they seem to believe him. And then Jonathan Franklin, who's another one of them, completely ruins it. They're going to keep six guys who suck because another guy who sucked in the preseason was awesome once he got to play. Um, uh, that's another thing. But it, it feels like there's so many things for these Packers that... Whether it's Rodgers holding the ball too long, whether it's these crappy guys that stay on the team for five years, that one time it pans out and it justifies them hoping against hope the other five times it doesn't work out. And I think Jeremy Ross is the roster version of that if Rodgers is the play version of that when he holds the football. Right, and I, I completely agree with you too. I mean, in the preseason episode, I think it was after week three, I think I said that I'm pretty sure that he's not going to make the roster, and mm -hmm. I think everybody kind of expected that. There was a lot of young receivers playing well, and you know somehow he kind of snuck through, and he just doesn't seem to do anything particularly well, and, it, and it's almost kind of shocking how he is on an NFL roster, like you said. I mean, he doesn't seem to be a great receiver. He's not a very good return guy, obviously, and I, I don't see him going down there making special teams tackles either, so I was kind of befuddling to me when he still made the roster and then you know he's had a couple of gaps already this regular season and then it just exploded on mm -hmm. yesterday on Sunday mm -hmm. and um you know right after it happened I was watching with some buddies and I said he's he's gone he's cut tomorrow I guarantee it <laughs> and then right after I said that I looked at my phone and you had texted me the same thing like they've got to get rid of this guy and uh, so I don't think it was too shocking today but at least, you know, in this instance, the coaching staff is seeing what we've seen. It's like, okay, that's enough. Enough is enough. We have to get rid of this guy finally. Um, maybe yeah. make a roster spot for somebody else. I don't know if they'll bring in another return guy. They need or, a running back. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe throw Franklin back there at the return spot if, you know, if Lacey and, and Starks can play going forward here too. But, um, you know, it gives them another roster spot to make a move maybe or bring somebody up from the practice squad who I think is probably going to contribute a little bit more than Ross has. Yeah, and good riddance, I guess. I mean, you you said pretty much everything I was uh, wanting to add, uh, except for the he's a dumb player too, and I think that's what bothers me more than anything in football is you can make mistakes or you can get fooled by a good play call or whatever, but fielding a kick that's gonna go out of bounds that closely. I mean, that's like when guys get hit by people or, or crash into guys when they're fair catching it or or just different stupid mistakes. He made two of them yesterday. The almost mistake on the illegal procedure and the horrible um, late approach to the ball. And maybe that wasn't quite his fault, but he's had a number of these plays that are just stupid that would have been stupid had he done it on the JV team at his high school. Right. You kind of wonder. I mean, this guy had to have been one of the best receivers at Cal. where He went to college, I believe, right? Um, I have no idea. I didn't care enough sure. about him to look it Anyways. up. 
and he's had to have been, you know, had to have been a superstar in high school. You know, how does a player who's played and been the best at their position for that long, you know, still make these kind of mistakes? I mean, that's inexcusable. I mean, we knew that when we were little kids that yeah. you know, let that go. There was nobody coming after him. Why do you grab it? I know it went, it just barely went out of bounds before he grabbed it. And had he screwed that up, I would, I would imagine he probably would have gone to the, the locker room right there. But, mm-hmm. and then he's walk up the sidelines and everybody's patting him on the head saying good work. And he almost just completely blew that one there. But, oh. um, yeah, you know, like you said, just stupid plays. It just, it's it's inexcusable to do that specific play, and like you said, he did had a couple of them yesterday, and he's had a, a few since he's been a Packer. Yeah, and I guess maybe it's just that side of the ball because Randall Cobb fumbled a punt out of bounds like later in the game, and it, it, nobody was near him, but he kind of bobbled it, and it went out of bounds weird. And we were talking when we were watching the game here that the Packers should just go for the punt block with nobody returning anymore. Right. I mean, yeah. you're either going to get Randall Cobb hurt or you're going to – Fumble the ball. So just let it land where it lands and take the ball from there. Uh, yeah, so Jeremy Ross is no longer a Green Bay Packer. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, a number of other things that I'm going to blame. Just randomly some stuff that I'll throw out here. Um, the other big thing that we're going to have to talk about is the training staff. And when are these guys going to be held accountable just it seems so stupid, and I want to. Maybe it is as simple as they're unlucky, but I feel like someone has to at least investigate the possibility that these guys are being prepared physically uh, incorrectly or improperly for games because it's one thing to get destroyed by injuries a season. It happens to everybody. This is three of the last four seasons that key Packers have been hurt. And when Jermichael Finley got, I, I know it was a concussion, but how come our guys get a ton of concussions and ton of hamstring injuries and tons of knee injuries? You don't see other teams having everybody who touched the ball get up like they just got hit by a car and that's what it seems like with this Packer team I don't know who to deflect that blame on but certainly somebody has to look into the way they're doing things because I can confidently say this our guys especially our our key guys who touch the ball get hurt far more often than anybody else in the NFL and it's been going on for three of the last four seasons yeah, and I I think in terms of, like you said like the concussion stuff I I mean that's unavoidable there's I mean there's nothing Finley can do about that but I think the big thing is like you said the hamstring issues and that's what Troy Aikman talked about yesterday on TV and I actually missed it and you filled me in on it but mm-hmm. to I mean to think about that these are professional athletes they're warming up before the games how are they pulling their hamstrings so much mm-hmm. you know I I just I can't fathom that. They have treatment constantly whenever they need it. They're stretching up before games. How is this happening so often? Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you know some of these guys are really big, and like Clay's got some pretty darn big legs, so it's it's a you're a little tighter there, and it's easier to happen. But it almost just seems inexcusable that you could have that many players with this same injury, which is something that's usually quite easily avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I had some training classes in college and everything, and I've I've played some football, and I've I've never had hamstring issues. I I never thought it was such a big epidemic in the NFL but it seems like it's it's our biggest issue and we just can't seem to get past it for like you said we've the last four years it seems like constantly especially guys like Clay Matthews and guys who are important and then they linger all season and they don't play up to their potential the rest of the season just because they're slowed down a little bit yeah and I I tried to think of some ideas I'm not a fitness person I'm not a I've never had any training classes like you have um the only thing I could think is perhaps they have a trainer who way overemphasizes muscle mass. Yeah. 
and that these guys are just, for lack of a better term, wound too tightly. And that puts a lot of, I, I presume, correct me if I'm wrong, you have more uh, knowledge in this area than I do, but it, it just it's puts more strain. No matter what you do, how hard you work out, your tendons are only so strong and your bones are only so strong. You can't make your bones bigger or your tendons tougher yeah. no, no matter what you do. And that's the only thing I can think that could potentially be why our guys are tearing quads, tearing biceps, pulling hammies, uh, spraining ankles, and just all of this stuff constantly. It's not like guys are breaking legs and breaking arms. It's all tendons. It's all muscles. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the more muscle mass you have on there, like you said, your your bones and stuff can only support so much, but also the, it just gets tighter because there's so much muscle there just just trying to pull on that all that tension. So, I mean, maybe you're right. There's a lot of weight training, but usually you would kind of combat that with a lot of stretching, especially of a hamstring because that's something that can get pulled very easily, especially if you're a big dude like Clay Matthews. So you would think, I'm, I'm almost positive they have a pretty strict training, you know, stretching regimen to go along with it, but... You know, I, I'm not the one to say what they're doing wrong at the training department. I don't know what they do down there, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, like you said, something's definitely wrong because this just happens way too much. Yeah, and the, uh, and the concussion thing obviously is much more of a crapshoot, but I'm not sure if I'm completely willing to, uh, and not the Packers, but I'm not sure if I'm willing to completely just write that one off as something you can't do anything about. This one certainly isn't a training staff issue, but the fact is... They're, over, they're emphasizing cutting down concussions, and I, I don't know, I haven't seen the numbers, but I presume that they're better than they were just because of the way they've been emphasizing it. The numbers might be up, perhaps, because of uh, how often they're be, uh, reporting, but as I've mentioned several times on this show, that one of my hobbies is to watch old NFL games, and I watch a ton of them. I watch several a week of old NFL games from as long ago as 30 years ago and from as recently as I usually don't go back uh, as you know usually more than 10 years just because I still remember the stuff that happened 10 years ago but you see helmet to helmet collisions almost constantly every time a guy catches a pass I sit there I'm like that would be illegal today but nobody gets up wobbly legged and I know they weren't reporting concussions and guys didn't understand the severity of concussions, but because they were ignorant to concussions and because there was a different level of toughness expected from coaches and trainers, you can't force yourself to not be wobbly-legged if you have a concussion. And I saw that twice yesterday. I saw Jermichael Finley do it, and I saw it in another game. We saw two guys get knocked unconscious in the Redskins-Packers game last week. I have watched probably, I'm in the, I'm watching a bunch of games from 1996 this year. I've watched probably 12 games from 1996, and I have not seen that once of a guy getting smashed helmet to helmet and getting up all rubber, rubbery-legged like, he, like he's going to pass out. And that happens all the time in the NFL now. And so I'm thinking, is this equipment that's tight-fitting and supposed to be molded to your head, is that actually making it worse? That your head takes more of the, uh, the force of the blow instead of it rattling around on top of your head? I, I don't know the answer, but I think that I I'm, willing to, I'm saying the jury's still out. They might be saying they're safer, the equipment's safer. They can't be hitting that much harder than they were in 1996. I, I, I can't believe that. And you see hits in 96 constantly in the old games that would be illegal today, and nobody's getting up rubbery-legged. Yeah, I mean, there's really no explanation for it. It seems that the uh, the helmets are a little bit lighter these days, but you would think that they're, you know, from everything you hear, is they're much more concussion-proof and a lot better on the on the head when you take a shot. But 
like you said, I, I don't remember this much, you know, from our when we were younger watching games, but again, I, I it's it's almost impossible to really explain from an outsider's perspective because yeah. you don't know who was going off and sitting on the sidelines after they got jacked up and just trying to get mm-hmm. off the field. I don't know. It's it's really unexplainable because, mm-hmm. like you said, there was probably a lot more head-to-head contact back then than there is now, but you know, it, it's happening a lot, and it seems to be in every game you see it happen like once or twice nowadays, mm-hmm. so... I, I don't have a good explanation for it, but I, I do agree with you. I, I don't think it's anything the Packers can specifically do themselves to combat mm-hmm. these concussions, but I, maybe they're going in the wrong direction a little bit with the equipment, like you said, but mm-hmm. you know I, I have no good explanation for you there. Well, clearly the explanation is that these prima donnas are pampered. They don't, they don't have no toughness anymore. <laughs> Their heads um, probably aren't all calloused up like those guys in the 90s <laughs> were from getting hit in the head so many times before that. So. Yeah, they can't feel their necks by the time they get to the NFL. Maybe right. it's the neck roll. Bring back the neck roll. Or, or the big Brian Cox, whatever the heck that was, that went almost up to the top of his helmet. Bring like those back. board down his back. <laughs> yeah, they need those again. Okay, so we won't talk about concussions anymore. Um, the big issue that I want to get in in the latter part of the show is going to be about the Packers' inability to win close games. I will mention some other things. This was like the worst Packer game for me ever. It was another one of the heart-wrenchers that we always lose. The uniform combination is disgusting <laughs> that they had. with. It looks like California blend vegetables, and it just looks gross. I... They wore the exact same uniforms when the Packers traveled there in 2005. That game was also horrible when uh, trailing by seven in the third quarter, Favre threw an interception on four consecutive drives. Um, so I don't have a good uh, memory of that uniform combination anyways, and this certainly is not going to do anything to change that. Packers lose again to the Bengals. That's three straight in the regular season to Cincinnati. They've lost eight of their last 12 road games, including five of the last six, and four straight. So that was a lot to throw at you, but uh, they've really been horrible on the road uh, the last two seasons. And I guess before we transition to the big thing, the I, I guess I'll give some, um, well, two things. We'll talk about that last sequence there, uh, kind of those last two drives for the Packers. We be a, a little bit silly if we didn't discuss that fourth down play call that resulted in the game-winning touchdown. First of all, great challenge by Marvin Lewis to challenge that Randall Cobb spot. Um, Got to give him credit for that, I would think, right? Yeah, it was it was awfully close, and I I think if had it been in Green Bay, it might have stood because that was it was pretty close, and it seemed like the angles that they were shooting from were kind of at you know kind of from those angles. So one looks like he was way past it, and the other one mm-hmm. looks like he was way behind it, depending on what angle they were showing. So to me, I, f- I felt like it was really, really close, but, I mean, it obviously worked out for him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so I guess that definitely is a good challenge because it put him back there. And in, in terms of the play call of going for it, I I hardly ever want the Packers to go for it, but in that scenario, I actually did. Mm-hmm. And I still don't disagree with going for it, even though it really, really backfired in their faces. I mean, that's the worst-case scenario. Yeah, that's the very worst thing that could happen to you when you go for that, and it, everything just imploded, and mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't expect that. I mean, even if you turn it over on downs, you're still in their territory, but it, du- it directly resulted in a touchdown, which is mm-hmm. the last thing you expect. Well, first of all, we would have won that challenge had it been cloudy because the shadow of the ball was short of the line to gain. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking that might have aided in their decision-making. Had it been cloudy, I think that the Packers would have they, they would have let the call stand. Sure. And I agree. I thought it was a good decision to go for it on fourth down. 
I hated the play call. I hated the formation. They never are able to pound it for a yard when they go up the middle. Never. And it doesn't matter. They've had Jeff Saturday. They've had Scott Wells. They have Dietrich Smith. They've had Darren College. They've had uh, a, a slew of guys. And none of them can ever get enough push to get a first down. I, I can't remember the last time they made a fourth down in that formation in an important uh, moment. It never happens, and so I wanted him to run something out. I, I hate the spread offense in college where guys are on, you know, third and goal from the one and they're in the shotgun formation. But I think that was what was working for the Packers, and Jonathan Franklin in space was almost untackable. He could have got a few inches if you would have given him a chance in something that he had a strength, I, I think. Yeah, and I know you hate to, to spread them out with inches to go, but I like you said, that's what's working for them, and that's almost really impossible to stop in that, in that kind of a scenario. If you've got three wide, a tight end, and Franklin in the backfield, either you throw a quick little slant, which is nearly impossible to stop, especially when you got Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson out there, mm-hmm. or, you know, like you said, don't put so many guys in the box because our front is just not nearly as good as theirs is. So you're kind of setting yourself up to fail there. I don't mind giving Franklin the ball because, like you said, he's, he played so well up to that point, and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that it had to end that way. But it's just that wasn't, I don't think, the right play call to just load him up and go for it because we were overmatched. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we should just be thankful they didn't throw an incomplete pass down the left sideline because uh, that's <laughs> mainly what they do on fourth down right. with <laughs> fourth and short. Yeah, and so... I don't like the play call, and then after that, I mean, if, if Randall Cobb wouldn't have hustled so hard, they could have <laughs> had a chance, you know, he stripped the ball, tried to make a good play, and that was just a complete disaster. Anything that happened after Franklin lost the ball, um, you can't, how do you prepare for that as, right. a, as, a, as a team? That stuff just doesn't happen. Uh, uh, that, if that would have happened to the Badgers, I would have believed it, but... <laughs> but maybe not uh, not to the Packers. That's just a weird thing to have happen. And then they come back down the field. Uh, they get all the way up to the, what, the 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they turn the ball over on downs. And uh, Caleb Pike, who commented on Facebook, uh, a great listener and a, a good friend of ours, actually relation of ours as well, he uh, was saying at the TV he couldn't believe that they wouldn't roll Rodgers out when guys were blocking his passes through the whole game, he was always having to look over people, try to fit it in tight angles, and he couldn't understand why they didn't give him a moving pocket and at least some options to run. I know when they tried that and went with half the field, he wasn't running or throwing. He wasn't making any kind of choice, but um, I don't know. It goes back to that discussion I guess we're going to have later. It's, It's never one thing with this team. It's always just the same result, that they lose the close games, but it's for a different reason every single time. Sure, yeah, and I, I thought for sure that they were going to convert down there. It's it's hard to imagine that you get the ball knocked down. On, I think it was two out of the last four plays yeah. on that, that little series there. But you're right, whether they roll them out or the offensive linemen cut a little bit and keep the, those defensive linemen down. And they tried, he jumped over them <laughs> at yeah. the last play. Yeah, yeah, so I mean it was a constant thing, and definitely give credit to the Bengals front four because they, they're they they're always great and they played awesome again um, it, down the stretch there in that game so it, it's it's a hard pill to swallow it's not like Rodgers is a short little quarterback out there mm-hmm. they were making pretty nice plays so I don't you know it's it's tough to, for that to happen maybe try a pump fake every now and then but it, it stinks to see it go down that way where you don't even give your receiver a chance well at least he didn't get sacked that's a good thing yeah um yeah and uh, I I just feel so deflated after this one, and 
Uh, here's a fun uh, thing that I brought up, and I guess we've pretty thoroughly covered the main points of yesterday's game. A lot to talk about. I'm sure we missed something. Um, I guess we could give, I, I know you sort of mentioned it, but Jonathan Franklin, a very pleasant surprise yesterday. Maybe we can more in depth kind of mention how impressive he was. And uh, you kind of have right now where whoever gets a chance is pretty good. So I don't know if that says we have three good running backs or if that means that our, our system has finally turned the corner when it comes to the running game. Well, you would definitely think it has a lot to do with the system, like you said, in the offensive line, because we've had, you know, probably like 10 backs or so over the last three or four years that haven't been able to get it done in the regular season. And all of a sudden you get three in a row who are doing it in three consecutive games. So I, I kind of think that it, it has a lot to do with, you know, the blocking in the system. But I, I do think there are three pretty good backs. But, I mean, we've seen Sarks over the last couple of years not able to get much done. And all of a sudden, you know, last week he explodes. Franklin expo explodes, and they didn't seem to think too highly of this guy going into the regular season. Mm -hmm. He didn't even get a shot last week when Lacey went down, mm -hmm. um, and, and then he goes off. So I, I think he's, he's, they've had some nice open holes. These guys are running hard. If they can somehow have a three-back system and keep, or even just keep two of the three of them healthy at most times if possible, mm -hmm. I think we've got a pretty good running game, probably the best one that we've had in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's quite possible, and certainly some different types of backs, so hopefully you yeah. can utilize all of them. But the way our team goes, they'll never all three be healthy. Probably two of them won't be healthy. Mm -hmm. This was the first back-to-back 100-yard -back uh, uh, running back games for the Packers since Ryan Grant and Brandon Jackson did it on the last two games of 2007. So mm -hmm. I found that little stat nugget. Uh, the other stat that I wanted to share is Week 3 sucks. Uh, in 2010, the Week 3 game was the 20-17 loss at the Bears when James Jones fumbled with the game tied as we were going for the uh, game-winning field goal, and the Packers committed 18 penalties. Last year was the fail Mary in Seattle. I don't need to say anything more than that. And now this game this week. So I can't wait till Week 3 next year where we'll probably be at the New England Patriots or some kind of crap like that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, especially the the fail Mary and then this one. I mean, those are about as two bizarre games as you get, and they're both kind of on the same week. But um, yeah, it stinks to be one and two after week three, and you know, it's uh, it's definitely not a good place to put yourself in. That's for sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's going to be. I, I think it's a holding come out of. They're clearly good, but this is going to be their team, and. The road schedule doesn't get easier. Baltimore looks like they've righted themselves after demolishing Houston yesterday. Um, maybe Minnesota isn't quite as good. The Bears are going to be tough. Uh, they're going to have a lot of these road games uh, this year, and uh, I don't know if I can take it, but we'll we'll see. Also, the DVR deleted the game yesterday. I, I save all the Packer games, and it, it it said two full. It instead of just stopping recording, it just said two full and deleted the whole damn thing. <laughs> so this was the worst game ever. <laughs> you didn't want to keep it in his memory bank. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, he kept. Um, I still have the Spanish version of Packers Chiefs Week Four preseason on there. So apparently, he thought that was still uh, worthy of, of watching again. All right, so let's go into the big thing I wanted to talk about uh, for the second half of the show here, and that being the Packers once again failing in a close game. And this was a different one because for a while there it didn't even look like it was going to be a close game. But you brought up the 1-2 and two record, and for many years 
Packers apologists, for lack of a better term, has said that it doesn't matter that Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy have been absolutely horrible together in close games because of how often the Packers blow people out. Well, the Bears and Packers each played two close games and one blowout this year. The Bears are 3-0 and with a stranglehold on the division, and the Packers are 1-2 and down with all the other disappointing starts of the NFC and have to fight their way out. They're, it's important to win close games. And the Packers have been great. In the 91 games that Aaron Rodgers have started, 46 of them they've never trailed, which is insane. <laughs> Um, these all, all these stats I, I compiled yesterday when I was deciding not to watch Tim Rattay and the, and the San Francisco 49ers get whooped by the, uh, Colts. <clears throat> but the, this is here, the ninth biggest blown lead that the Packers had entering the fourth quarter, uh, of all time. It's the fourth biggest lead blown with as many as 20 minutes left to play when they led by 16. McCarthy has two second half, or actually this is his third double-digit second half blown lead um, in the last uh, four years. They had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter against the Washington Redskins and lost in a game that was almost identical to yesterday uh, in a lot of ways. And then the 18-point halftime lead against the Indianapolis Colts last year that they ultimately lost. And I wanted to understand why this is happening. And I really did <laughs> I really can't, and I came up with five different points, and I actually did go deep into the numbers. I wanted to see if it was something to do with Rodgers, or if it was something to do with, I, I don't know. It, it certainly is a lot of different factors. Rodgers, in fact, is, he takes, he's one of the most easily sacked quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. In the fourth quarter of games decided, uh, where the uh, scoring margin is within four points, I sound like Bill Plaschke right now, kind of just uh, stumbling through my statistics that I got here. In uh, games where the margin is within four points, uh, Aaron Rodgers is 26 times, or 26% more likely to take a sack. He gets sacked on 10% of his dropbacks in close games in the fourth quarter. But his normal is 7.4, which is historically atrocious so it's still not all that different and his quarterback rating since 2009 in those situations is still 100.5 so it can't all just be Aaron unwilling to take chances or making too many mistakes I really don't know what it is and so uh, this is a very long ramble but I came up on a little scratch sheet here of five reasons why the Rodgers-McCarthy Packers might not be very good in close games. And if you want to present them one by one, we could maybe debate those. Does that sound good? Sure, sounds good. Okay. Number one kind of goes back to the stats I just talked about. Is Aaron Rodgers a choker? Okay. Um, do you want me to kind of th say what I think about that first here? Sure. Okay. So I yeah, hate to say that, and I, and I really don't think he is. I mean – I guess in, in my memory, I can't think of a lot of times where he did what he did yesterday. I, I liked the play calling in the fourth quarter. I like being aggressive. That you know, I like having the ball in Rodgers' hands. But, I mean, he made just two really bad throws in the second half. Mm -hmm. I, um, I guess overall, there has to be something. To, I don't want to say choker because that's unfair with how good he is in you know the majority of the time. But mm -hmm. to have that many close game losses, I mean, there's something to that. 
I know a lot of them he probably scored on, and our defense gave up points right after that to lose. So mm-hmm. they're not all just on Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, there definitely has to be something to that. I don't want to say it's a, he's a choker, but there's definitely something to the fact that in those close games, he's just not as efficient as he is during the regular portions of the game, mm-hmm. whether he's getting more pressure on him or, or what. But he, there is something to the fact that he hasn't been as good in close games as he, as he is at, at most times during other games, that when, mm-hmm. you know, when we have a lead or even earlier in those same games. Yeah, he's different. Maybe choker is not the right term, but he's a different player in those close games late. And if you look at that playoff run, he froze—he didn't freeze. Freeze is too strong. But he was different when the Bears got close in the yeah. NFC Championship game and when Philly got close in that first game. In the Super Bowl, that's why I'm still saying forever that the most amazing play that probably is ever going to occur in Aaron Rodgers' career is that third and ten thread of the needle to Greg Jennings because it goes against everything we've ever seen from Aaron Rodgers in the fourth quarter of a close game. He takes a sack in almost every other situation on third and ten with a lead with five minutes to play. And that time he didn't. And so he obviously was not a choker on that day, but... I actually heard a guy on the radio yesterday, and it, it was one of the closest things I can think of to an explanation. It was actually a really good point. And he said the reason why Aaron Rodgers struggles in these situations is he's the most prepared quarterback that's perhaps ever played in the NFL. He has thought about everything that can possibly happen in a game. He knows what his guys are going to do and what he's going to do if the other team does this. If somebody does this, he's going to do this. He's got ideas for every single scenario that's going to come up. And so when these games get close and weird things happen, the decisions he has to make are ones that he's not thought of yet. And guys like Brett Favre who think film study is a waste of time and thinks that you're just going to go out there and play barn ball excel in those situations because they don't care. And not that they don't care, but they didn't put all that effort in it. They don't know what they're going to do until they see it. So it's a faster decision-making process in a lot of ways. You didn't, never saw Favre getting sacked on third and ten, down by ten, uh, on, you know, whatever. With the situations where we see Rodgers are up by four, taking a sack. Favre might have thrown an interception, but he would have made a choice instead of just kind of freezing up and seeing what happens, playing the percentages. And... I don't know. Do you think that has any merit? I know you can't even quantify that, and a stat junkie like me really gets frustrated by that, but maybe there's something to that. Yeah, and I guess to me that taking the sack is a lot less frustrating than getting the interceptions, which used to drive me nuts and why I think I like Aaron, watching Aaron Rodgers a little bit better than I did Brett mm-hmm. Favre. But I think there's definitely something to that. Um, you know, the fact that maybe he's just a little too analytical, so when he's sitting back there in the pocket on these plays... I, I don't know. I guess I, I don't. I'm just when I'm trying to process it, it just doesn't quite sound right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's pretty good at quick decision making, but like you said, I, I think Brett Favre just goes in there with a lot less uh, preparation and just kind of slings <laughs> it to whoever's open. Where Rodgers, I think, is maybe thinking a little bit too far ahead, and if that one thing doesn't happen, he's, you know, like you said, just he's there to get sacked then because he's holding the ball too long. So mm-hmm. there might be a little something to that. Um, just in terms of holding the ball and taking too many sacks. I, he definitely takes too many sacks. That's definitely something mm-hmm. I'll agree with you there for. Well, and I'm going to sound like the ultimate hypocrite because I'm the guy dying for him to have the guts to throw interceptions, and he threw two of them yesterday. But part of me is sitting there, and he throws. This is a game you're up by nine in the fourth quarter. You're in Bengal territory. They haven't stopped you the whole half, and you throw a 50-50 pass to Randall Cobb that gets intercepted. 
but down by 10 on fourth down and five after the greatest regular season in franchise history, after the greatest single season quarterback performance in the history of the NFL, you take a sack. It's like those decisions in my mind, I wish they would be inverted. Throw the interception trying to win against the Giants when you took a sack. Take a sack against Cincinnati up by nine in week three. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. Um, another quick uh, stat before we move on to the, the next point. In games decided by seven points or less, I looked it up, since 2008, I took the ten winningest quarterbacks in that time period. Aaron Rodgers is 19-21 and 21 in games decided by seven, so quite a bit better than the really, really close games. Tom Brady's 18-12, and 12, Peyton Manning's 20-9, and 9, Eli's 20-16, and 16, Drew Brees is 28-10, and 10, Joe Flacco's 28-17, and 17, Tony Romo is also 19-21, and 21, Jay Cutler is 20-13, and 13, Ben Roethlisberger's 25-20, and 20, Matt Ryan's 30-12, and 12, Philip Rivers is 13 and 25. So if there's somebody that resembles Rodgers, it's Philip Rivers. Matt Schaub is 18 and 13. And just to rub it in, Mark freaking Sanchez is 21 and 16, where Rodgers has a losing record in those situations. Wow. It's unfathomable why that keeps happening. Um, but anyway, so maybe it's the way he plays. I don't know. But number two on my list is, is Mike McCarthy a choker? Okay, um, and like I said in, when I was kind of talking about Rodgers a little bit, I actually kind of like the play calling in the fourth quarter, to be honest with you. I might not always feel that way, but I guess in this instance, I mean, the run game was going well. We're, we're slinging it pretty well. They're kind of going down the stretch. I mean, Rodgers just made some mistakes. Um, I think overall, in other situations, I have definitely felt that way, and I'm sure everybody has. And I know kind of before he won the Super Bowl, that was the big thing. He was kind of mm-hmm. driving people nuts in 09 and 2010 with the play calling. Uh, especially in the fourth quarter, but I feel like it's definitely gotten better since then, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I guess I'm not going to put a ton of blame on him. He, I mean, Jonathan Franklin fumbles, your quarterback throws two interceptions. I, I don't think that's his fault at all. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say, um, at least in terms of this game, no. I think overall there's probably a little something there, but I, I put a little less on him in this situation, I think, than in uh, probably your other points, I think. Yeah, and I put this on here because you hear it a lot where people are blaming McCarthy for these close losses. I think that um, this is the one that has the least credibility of the five that we're going to talk about. I agree with you. I like the aggressive play calling. I think he has a lot of aggressive play calls that doesn't work out because Aaron either holds the ball too long or guys aren't getting open or the defense lets him down. I think, and, and I think the evidence against... McCarthy being a choker in these close games is the fact that they were really good in close games when Brett Favre was the quarterback. Yeah. Um, not saying Rodgers sucks. I'm not saying uh, all of maybe we need to preface that that all the stuff we said today he had a bad game yesterday and he deserves to share the blame but nobody would trade him for anybody in the league from any other time period I don't think. No, absolutely not. But it's the facts that if you want to say Mike McCarthy stinks in these close games, the fact is he didn't when Favre was here. They were great in close games when Brett Favre was here outside of the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, they always were really close. And they've and you talk about when Rodgers would you know, take the lead and then the other team would get it back and then we can't get it. That's happened a ton of times to Rodgers. That happened a few times to when Favre was here, and Favre would go get it back. Uh, the Kansas City game comes to mind, where we took the lead, and then Kansas City took it back, and then he hit a bomb to Greg Jennings. Right. Um, so I think this one doesn't have as much credibility. He's 
players make the plays. I know we don't like cliches on this uh, show, but I think that Mike McCarthy is probably the of the of the people accepting blame for this weird stat. I think he deserves perhaps the least of it. Okay. Number three, our defense is too fragile, uh, meaning that the the defense that Dom Capers has can't be counted on to play a complete game, and it puts too much pressure on the offense to be great for the whole game. And so I'm getting to the point where no lead seems to be safe with this defense because even the teams they stifle can eventually figure it out and come back and make it a close game again. And not only have they blown three huge leads that we talked about with the Redskin game, the Colt game, and this game, uh, there's a ton of others to think of. Remember that San Diego game when they were up 21 with eight minutes to play and needed a last-second interception to win by seven? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there's a ton of these examples, and I think that the defense is not good enough to hold leads against good teams. Well, and I, I mean, for sure the last couple of years especially, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I, I think they've looked a lot better this year so far, so I don't put a ton of blame on them for, for yesterday, but I think overall in terms of that overall record here, mm-hmm. the defense hasn't been very good for the most part when Rodgers has been here, so mm-hmm. I think they do take a lot of blame. It seems like in these situations it's both, though. It seems the offense stops scoring and the defense eventually breaks. So they play a good first half, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're holding as best they can, but then they give up a couple of big plays, and with our offense not combating it by scoring anymore on top of it, it's, it's, that's what happens. And our defense has clearly not been good enough, you know, the last couple of years especially. So that's definitely a, a, a big thing, I think, with the record overall, is that if Rodgers does get a lead, they, they have a hard time holding it. Even big leagues, like you said, against the Colts last year or the one we had yesterday, mm-hmm. they just aren't good enough to hold those from time to time against good offenses. So are they more to blame than Rodgers? I, I think that's, I hate to, to cop out, but I think it's kind of what I've saying. It's about half and half because it seems like the offense stopped scoring. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was definitely more at fault for the offense, but I think it seems like the offense stopped scoring and then the defense gives. It's, it's almost been both, and it's been at the same time of the game, it seems like. Mm-hmm. The offense just decides to stop moving the ball, the three and outs and all that, turnovers, whatever. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the defense just breaks. I'm actually going to sound like the biggest jerk in the world. And of the three we've talked about, McCarthy is three. And I think the defense is number two. And it comes for this reason. We're grading on that same curve. Mm-hmm. Rodgers is great. And you have to be great, I think, in this situation. You have to expect him to be great and pull these out. Favre played with some horrible defenses, and we're able to pull out these close games. Um, Tom Brady's Patriot defense has been lousy the last three, four years, and they're able to pull out these games. Indianapolis, Peyton Manning has the most comeback wins of any quarterback ever, and for the most of the storyline of his early part of his career was Indy's defense is costing Peyton Manning Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think you can say it's all the defense. I think if you're great, you have to be able to overcome that at least half of the time like most of your great quarterbacks. You're not going to win them all, but you don't have to lose, you know, over three quarters of them. And so I think that I don't blame the defense quite as much as Rodgers. And honestly, if you look at it, the games where he's won the close ones, mostly looking at that entire 2010 playoff run, the defense saved them after the offense couldn't do anything in the fourth quarter. Couldn't put the game away, and the defense saved them. So uh, I guess Rodgers is still number one for me. Okay. Uh, 
number four is kind of the weaker of my last two points, but that the team is too injury prone. And so I think in these tight games especially, if you look at yesterday, you look at that Redskin game, they lose Clay Matthews and the, the wheels come off. Or they lose James Starks or they lose a whole bunch of running backs. They lose Finley and the wheels come off. Um, I think that maybe this can go into my next point a little bit, but I think that the, the fact that you're losing guys and important times of the game uh, is making it so that you have lesser people coming on the field in crucial moments. Yeah, and you're right, and it always seems to be the, you know some of the most critical parts. I mean, it really hasn't been Rodgers, but it's been your by far most important defensive player in Clay Matthews is just constantly banged up and pulling hamstrings. And those have been a lot of those devastating games, like you pointed out the Dolphins game and like the Redskins game last year when he was hurt. That's when you kind of lose those close games. And it happened again yesterday, and all of a sudden that's right when the defense decides to you know, stop playing as well as they were in the first half. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's painful to watch. I guess we kind of maybe know going forward as soon as that time Clay Matthews gets hurt to watch out for something like this. But mm-hmm. it's, um, it's been unfortunate, and, <laughs> to say the least, that I don't know if it's as much to blame as, as some of the other things. But it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely been unfortunate, and it doesn't help at all. Maybe if Clay Matthews plays throughout the game yesterday, we, we win that one, and I could definitely see that. Yeah, and I guess for, for the purposes of this, I'll say that's my fifth of these five points, just sure. because um, there's a few big ones that have been caused by injuries, but I, not enough of them to justify it. They've been super healthy and choked in close games. So right. um, I guess we'll excuse that one a little bit. But it's certainly something curious that that defense – and I guess it's no surprise since Clay is head and shoulders the best player on that defense, but both times that he's left in the third or fourth quarter with a lead with a hamstring injury, they weren't able to hold it either time. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that is actually going to get Aaron Rodgers off the hook. My fifth reason, and at least for my opinion, I don't know, I can't speak for you. I think you have to put the blame on Ted Thompson's philosophy for building this team, and that there's too many young players on this team. And it sounded kind of stupid at first, but then I was going through and looking at some of these games that have fallen apart at the end. In Washington in 2010, it was Charlie Pepra blowing coverages on safety and allowing old, decrepit, lousy Donovan McNabb to throw enough deep balls to get into field goal range to tie the game. You had M.D. Jennings trying to catch the ball instead of knock it down in Seattle. You had Jonathan Franklin fumbling the ball in the key moment of the game yesterday. You had Casey Hayward blowing a coverage and allowing Christian Ponder to throw over top of them in a game that cost him the number two seed in the NFL last year. Combining with injuries and having the fact that all of your frontline backups are all guys most of the time playing in like their fifth career game. If you're a team whose stars don't always play like stars in the close game, those weaknesses are going to rear their ugly heads. And I know there's guys like Mason Crosby making mistakes. There's guys like Aaron Rodgers making mistakes. But I would be willing to bet that there's a really, really young player that's at the heart of almost all of these major collapses for the Packers. And I don't know how to alleviate that, but in a lot of ways, you look at kind of Ron Wolf's teams, and Ron Wolf's teams were better than these teams. But if Leroy Butler got hurt, you had a guy like Mike Pryor coming in, who's a 10-year vet, who's seen it all. Or if if you had, um, I don't know, some of their line, that team was young too. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they're just drafting stupid young players too. But 
it seems like every single one of these major last-second collapses in recent years. Matt Flynn not knowing to hurry the team up with the chance to throw a game-winning uh, touchdown against New England. Mm-hmm. They're all there. You find guys that are inexperienced who've never been in those situations before, and they're the ones who are dragging everybody down. Yeah, and I think you um, – I was curious what your point was going to be there because I was, I was interested to see this, but I think, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. There has to be some explanation for this, and that's uh, – if it's not the right one, it's a pretty darn good uh, – shot at one here because it definitely makes a lot of sense like you said it always seems to be one of these young players and as a team we've been one of the youngest in the NFL constantly over you know since McCarthy and Ted Thompson have been here Mm -hmm. and what they don't do is they don't go out and get those veteran players to be their backups they constantly just draft and cycle young players through so they have a lot of a lot of young players at key positions that are out there when the game's on the line. And when you have that many young players out there, one of them's bound to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that's been exactly what's happened. So like you said, back in the 90s, if Butler gets hurt, you have Mike Pryor come in or somebody with some experience. Whereas they don't sign those kind of guys now. You don't have a, you know, a... 29-year-old safety backing up the guys we have right now. Like, you know, just for example, say if you had Jimmy Leonard as your backup, he comes mm-hmm. out there. At least the guy you can trust to make good decisions, um, they, they just don't have those guys. They're cycling rookie through rookie. After the three years is up, it seems like they let them walk and get another rookie in there with a mm-hmm. rookie for a backup, too. So, I mean, when you're building your team that way, this is bound to happen. You're not going to have guys who have the game experience. None of these guys hardly have you know, the big game experience, even from that Super Bowl team, we have hardly anybody left from that team, it seems like. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's you're kind of shooting, you know, kind of doing it to yourself when, when all you do is just kind of cycle these young players and everybody seems inexperienced. You've got your core of guys who have been here, but for the most part, you've got a lot of guys on the field that it's kind of hard to put a lot of trust in because they've got so little experience. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, and... It, and I'd, I'd like to maybe look into that point more in depth because maybe we have fixed the Packers' problem. The problem is that's not going to go away. Right. <laughs> but we, we've said that on this show. I, I believe we said it on this show, and if we haven't, we've said it to each other when we, we're talking about the Packers in our personal lives. They, Ted Thompson and McCarthy to a lesser extent because he's not making the, the personnel decisions, they coach this team almost like a baseball team where if you have a first-year guy – who screws up a double play or tries to leg out uh, a double when it's really a single hit and it costs you a game, big deal. We'll get him tomorrow. The problem is in the NFL, you have Casey Hayward, who played great for the most part last year, made one mistake in the, the end of the Viking game, and it cost him a first-round buy. Or M.D. Jennings, if he'd have knocked that down, it cost him a first-round buy. You have... Um, you have this happen time and time again, and it feels like, I don't know for sure, it's just the major ones that are coming to my mind, but it, it feels like in every one of these instances, there's a young guy who's just overzealous or too cautious, one of the extremes, and it costs them the game. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, you've got 16 know. games, not 162, so you can't exactly let a guy work out of a slump or you know, <laughs> just say, oh, that's right, he's young, he's got potential, he'll, he'll get through it. Um, I mean, you kind of have to because that's what our roster is made out of. But you're right. That's, it's very MLB-like and that mm-hmm. you let these young guys work it out and, and get the experience themselves. But it seems like once we get these guys their experience, they're, they're off the team after that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely frustrating. And I, I think that's probably a – you might have pinpointed it there. Maybe Ted Thompson's listening. Yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> 
So I'm going to say, if you remember the five points, I'm saying number one is too many young players, um, maybe caused a little bit by number four, uh, having to play by partially by the favor to play a young team and also because they have to play too soon by necessity because of injuries. I think uh, number, I guess, 2.5 is that Aaron Rodgers is not quite as good in those close games, whether it's because he's too cautious, whether it's because he trusts his teammates too much. I don't know what it is, uh, but I think that's it. I think number 3.5 or 4 is the, the defense is too fragile. You can't the scheme and the players, whatever it is, can't be counted on. It's probably Dom because there's been so many different guys who have sucked in that yeah. defense since it got here. Uh, it's just not a good enough scheme to last you a whole game with a good team. And then the last one, which might not have any merit at all, is that Mike McCarthy doesn't know how to coach in close games. I think he's proven when Brett Favre was here that he can coach in close games. Sure. And I my, my top five is pretty much the same. And you had the injuries one at the end of that, I think, too. Um, yeah, I kind of combined it with the too young because I think okay. that the injuries – uh, in other games, kind of necessitate some of these guys to have to play. Sure. Okay. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I might put the defense slightly in front of Rodgers. Like you said, it's a curve. You expect Rodgers to be great, but simply the defense hasn't been good enough. And that's mm-hmm. Dom Capers, and that's that's Ted Thompson as well building the defense. I mean, you expect Rodgers to pull out those games, but still, your defense doesn't have to be horrible too. So mm-hmm. I might put them just a little bit ahead of Rodgers, but I I completely agree with you otherwise. Well, and just to put an end to this and make everybody feel even worse about yesterday's game and the Packers' woes in close games uh, in the last five seasons and three games, is that they are 6-18, and 18, as we said, in games decided by four points or less. That's a .250 winning percentage. The average in the NFL is actually half. You win half of your games decided by four points or less. Had the Packers been average in that regard. 2008, they would have gone 9-7 and seven instead of 6-10. and 10. They would have gone 12-4 in 2009, likely no change. 08 might have won them the division if they had beaten the Vikings as one of those uh, close games. Uh, in 2010, they would have been 12-4 and four in the number two seed in the NFC. Uh, they would have been likely only 14 and two in 2011 uh, because they had uh, if they played the averages they would have been 12 and four last year and would have had the two seed in the NFC and this year they likely would have been two and one and it had they performed like a top 10 team all the other winningest teams win at almost a 60% clip in games by four points or less we're talking New Orleans and the Patriots and Atlanta the Indianapolis Colts things like that they would have won the division in 2008. 09 would have been no different. They would have been 13-3 and and had home field advantage throughout the playoffs in 2010, 14-2 uh, or 15-1 and in 2011, and last year they would have been 12-4 uh, and or 13-3, and either the number one or two seed, that being if they performed like their league-leading peers uh, in close games. So how does that make you feel? Not great, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and it's even worse having to think about it going into a bye week again this week because now we get to think about this game all week too and all this terrible history. I, uh, I, I, and I honestly didn't know that percentage of how bad it was until you brought it up today. But I mean, that's that's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, you never know what would have happened in those playoffs. It almost seems to be better to be a six seed these days. But mm-hmm. it's um, it's it's definitely eye opening. So you know, you think playing the percentages the rest of Rogers' career, he'll be like seventy five percent, just to kind of <laughs> even things out. Hopefully, hopefully he's got to start winning some of those though to yeah. get up that high. You mentioned next week we're going into a bye. This is the 
first week four bye for the Packers since the 1999 season. And the only bye they've ever had earlier than week four was in 1993 when they had a week three bye. And that was a special circumstance because in 93 the NFL uh, flirted with the idea of two bye weeks. And so the Packers had two bye weeks in the first seven weeks, uh, mm-hmm. in their first seven games that year. Uh, they did not do that ever again, and I'm kind of glad they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so that's what the Packers have to look forward. Probably won't have a devastating defeat next week, I'm hoping, uh, during the bye. So after that, they return home, and you hate to hope for anything, but after a couple of really tough losses early in the season, they get a visit from the Detroit Lions, who have not won at Lambeau Field since I was in kindergarten. Uh, And I'm now uh, 26 years old. So hopefully that bodes well for the Green Bay Packers coming back from the bye in two weeks. Do we want to read uh, Caleb's comment on Facebook? Do you have that up by any chance, Matt? All right, and just real quick here, um, just want to read a comment that we had from, from Caleb Pike. And um, he says, I know Eric hates it when you use something early in the game as blame, but I, he's confident that if Ross doesn't fumble, we win. And I think that's very likely considering how close the final score was here. Mm-hmm. And I think the rest of the stuff, we kind of agreed with. We might have discounted that the defense wasn't wasn't too bad. And, and he says here, the offensive line sucks. He blames them. Basically, he tells us everybody that he blames. Um, the strength and conditioning coach for somehow ruining this team in ways he can't even comprehend. Uh, the defense continues to give up big plays. Aaron never gets never plays well in close games, definitely touched on that. Uh, McCarthy continues to forget that when it comes to third down, you can simply gain the yardage necessary to sustain the drive. (laughs) You don't need to score on that play. Um, He says Sam Shields needs to decide to be a good player every game, not just on occasion. Um, The refs seem to call games on tilt, where the previous calls seem to be a larger deciding factor than whether a player committed an actual foul at that time. That is the only thing he can think of that explains the inconsistency of the calls. It's getting ridiculous. They can't be blamed for the loss, but need to pull it together. Um, and he says basically the team should keep Matthews and Mastay and fire everybody else <laughs> and start over. So We didn't even talk about the refs. They freaking sucked yesterday, and they did in almost every game. It's like the rule book is has asterisks next to every single rule that says enforce if you wish. I guess, in my opinion, I didn't even notice it as much because I don't think they made that big, um, incredibly big error. So they weren't great, but I think I we we're so like the opposite of spoiled that I, I came out of the game not even feeling that way because <laughs> they didn't make some absolutely ridiculous call that just the game ended on that. So I guess I was feeling pretty good about the refs. I just don't even know how you're supposed to play right now in the NFL. Like, And I think that's what's causing a lot of the defensive player frustration is that Aaron Rodgers gets called for a roughing the passer, or a, a hit on Rodgers gets called for a roughing the passer penalty when it was a guy putting a shoulder into Rodgers' chest. <laughs> and he did it straight up, man-to-man, didn't even lower his head at all, and that gets called. And he was there. He was right there. It wasn't even a two-step thing. It was like a one-step thing, and he gets called. And then later, a guy dives at Rodgers' legs, could have been a inch away from ending his season and nothing gets called yeah and I I know people were complaining about Nick Perry Nick Perry did definitely lowered the helmet that's the second helmet to helmet he's gotten in his very brief career he had another one where he put his helmet right through Andrew Luck's sternum last year Um, those are inexcusable but you see helmet to helmet hits all the time that never get called and then sometimes they aren't helmet to helmet and they do get called and does, do the referees know that they're emphasizing cutting down on helmet to helmet? Because it seems like there's, I don't understand, but it seems like it's so inconsistent, not only from crew to crew, but from week to week. 
and I notice it more now, and maybe I'm looking for it, but it's not just our game, because the Bengals got screwed on a bunch of calls yesterday, too. It's everybody all the time just so inconsistently enforcing the rules that if I was a player, I would just say, screw you, referees, I'm going to play how I play, call it how you wish. And I think that's what a lot of people do. And to play the devil's advocate a little bit here, I'm going to give the refs a little bit of a break. I mean, this is such a thing that there's such a spotlight on that everybody's seeing it. Every time it happens, they're either saying, why did you call that or why did you call that, basically. And it's such a snap thing. It happens so fast. On that hit against Rodgers there where he didn't, in slow motion, you could tell he hit the chest. But in fast motion, you see Rodgers' head snap back. You kind of saw the guy's head go up towards the chin area. And it did look like he hit Rodgers in the head on that play to me, at least in fast motion. So mm-hmm. I think it's there's so much focus on it, and it's such a tough thing to call, that, at least in terms of that call. I hate how inconsistent it is, but that's what it's going to be, I think. I mean, it's such sure. a fast thing that if you see a guy's head whip, you're going to call it, and maybe if a guy gets hit in the head and his head doesn't jolt back, you don't call it. I, to me, it's just a really hard thing to call, mm-hmm. and to be such an important thing, it, it's, it's kind of putting the refs in a rough situation. And I guess that's a fair point, and maybe if you give them some leniency, it would be on some of those snap calls. But some of the helmet-to-helmets they miss, I have a hard time excusing them for. But the other thing is, there's inconsistency everywhere. There was a play yesterday where the Bengals got a first down by maybe an inch, and the referee puts it, and he lines it up like he's going for like a 65-foot putt, and then just goes, yep, first down. I'm like, how could you tell from there? Then the Packers do it like a quarter later, and he's like, eh, not sure, measure. I'm like... (laughs) It's the same, it was the same distance from the first down line. And they put a GPS chip in the ball, put it in the field. If you can make a field that warms up in the winter and is half grass with uh, fake fibers woven into it, why can't we have automated spotting of the football? And there's some of these stuff that are just, they screw up things that aren't even judgment calls. Um, Miss offsides, missing delay of games, and maybe... I honestly think it has more to do with the NFL doesn't give a damn who wins the games as long as they're over in time for 60 minutes. Um, and I don't know. But anyways, um, I guess that's just my way of piling on. I also have a note here that says the Bengals are a bunch of punks, but I don't know if we'll get into that. That's probably um, not going to change, so maybe we can talk about that next time we play the Bengals. All right, so if you want to leave a comment like Caleb did, you can go to Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can comment underneath this, this podcast at our website, greengoldforever.podbean.com. That's the number four. You can comment on YouTube, Green Gold Forever, where I put previews, 10-minute previews of the uh, show that hopefully you're coming over and listening to it here, where we have much more fun uh, in the full episode. And uh, you can also email us at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. We have a bye week next week. I guess I am not sure yet what we're going to do as far as Green and Gold Forever is concerned, but stay tuned. We'll be back once the Packers are back, and maybe we'll see you in between. But until then, for Matt out in Eau Claire, I'm Eric in Oshkosh. Uh, try your best to enjoy a Packers-free Sunday. Maybe it'll be a little less stressful, in fact. But uh, enjoy the, the week off from the Packers. I'm sure the Packers will, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Take care, everyone. <laughs>